The kingdom of God is different to what the world and even us sometimes see as normal. And we looked at that last week. The phrase that John the Baptist pioneered, he launched his campaign, not a very good political campaign, it got him killed, but his campaign was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Make America better again, no. The repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus came and began to preach the same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And last week, we looked at the fact that the kingdom of heaven can be confusing. It is different to what we often think is normal, we're often familiar with. Our idea of kingdom is different to God's idea of kingdom. And we looked at to become great, you need to be a servant. Like, that's that's up the wrong way from what almost any leadership training will ever tell you. Unless your leadership training is in a church. To get back your enemies, love them. You won't find that on Facebook. (laughs) To become rich, give everything away. It's a bit upside down. It's a bit different to what we think is normal. But there's another thing that is different about the kingdom of God. And that is the kingdom of God can be confronting. It's confusing, but it also can be confronting. And I was really convicted this week to unpack one of the parables. And the warning is it's confronting. (laughs) But that's okay. We can work through it and and wrestle with it. I just want to flag that up front that not only is the parable confronting, but the kingdom of God is actually confronting because it messes with Again, our normal framework, our normal way of thinking about things. And that can take us aback and shock us um, and sometimes go, maybe God's wrong. But let's unpack this parable in Matthew 22. It's the parable of the wedding banquet. Before we get into it, there's something really important to understand. That there is a big difference between a parable and an allegory. There's a big difference between a parable and an allegory. And there are some religious people that try to turn parables into allegories. And the difference is that a parable is a simple story to illustrate a point or to illustrate something. And an allegory is something that has hidden meaning that you have to try to understand. Now, Jesus wasn't about hiding things from people. He wasn't about trying to be tricky, to confuse people, to try and separate the the elite wise people from the plebs. He was doing the opposite. He was trying to talk simple language to simple people. And he doesn't tell allegories. And that's really important to understand because sometimes we do a few things and there's, there's a whole, there was a whole movement that the, the New Testament church had to wrestle with, a group called the Gnostics, who had enlightened, higher understanding. They were spiritually elite. And the New Testament church, in, and, and Scripture talks to this, is, has to try to unpack that position because it's not God's position. There is not a separation between the spiritually elite that are enlightened and... Simple people. God connects with simple people. Thank you, Lord. 
He talks to me. And that's okay. And that's his approach. It's not cryptic. There's no hidden meanings. And you don't need to be enlightened or super spiritual to understand. Doesn't mean we always understand. It sometimes is confusing. It sometimes is confronting. But it's important to understand these parables aren't tricky hidden meanings that you have to be enlightened to understand. They're often simple stories to explain a point. So let's get into Matthew 22. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepares a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. It's a pretty simple scenario. Wedding banquet, king's son's wedding, king invites guests. Pretty normal, makes sense. But this isn't your average Sunday lunch. This is the king and his son having a wedding banquet. Like this is a once in a lifetime scenario. This is not something that happens every week or every day. This is a priceless opportunity. So although it's something that we can easily understand, it's actually something that's a a very significant event in the kingdom. The king's son is getting married and there's a banquet and he's sending out invitations. Now, Jesus also emphasizes this idea of the kingdom being something special or being a treasure in a bunch of other parables. The parable of the treasure in the field, the lost sheep, the the pearl of great price, the lost coin. There's this idea that Jesus keeps repeating in his parables. He doesn't want us to be confused. He wants to tell it plainly and clearly. The kingdom is precious. It's valuable. And there's a theme of saying people rejoice when they find it. And God rejoices when people find it. So this idea of a king's son's banquet is actually really special for us to understand. Then he sent some more servants because they've refused the first time. So he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. It's ready. My ox and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. I've prepared everything. It's here, good to go. Come. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them. They abused them and killed them. Do you notice that the king doesn't actually get offended at the first rejection? In fact, the king goes to the effort of sending out more servants, sending the message again to these people. He doesn't take no for the answer for the first time. And you can see that he's actually doing everything that he can that these people might be able to come to the banquet. He's prepared everything, he's invited them, They got rejected the first time, so he goes and invites them again. But their excuses are really poor, and they actually show no value or respect to what the king is offering them. In fact, they go way beyond that. They humiliate and kill the king's servants. 
the king's servants. Like, that's pretty significant. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now we start to experience a little bit of confrontation. This is confronting. Those that oppose the king, that fight against his kingdom, are destroyed. The kingdom of God is like this. Jesus started his parable by saying, the kingdom of God is like this scenario. Maybe Jesus didn't mean that. Maybe we're not understanding what Jesus is trying to say here. Maybe there's a hidden meaning in this that we're not getting. If you're struggling with it, then maybe read these parables because they all have the same theme. They all reflect a similar idea. See, this is not playground cowboys and Indians. This is serious stuff. God is God. He's both loving and just. And his kingdom is real and present. And fighting against his kingdom has serious long-term consequences. This sometimes grates with us. And yet, the chief priests and the Pharisees were not confused about this. These parables made sense to them. And they also understood that they were some of these first invited guests. Just earlier in Matthew 21, starting at verse 43, it says, Therefore, this is Jesus talking, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone, he's talking about the cornerstone that he'd just been sharing, will be broken to, to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. I know this is confronting. I know this is hard for us to digest. But it's also not right or fair to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is near and pretend it's all rainbows and unicorns. God is a God of justice. I'm not sure if you picked up on it, but in the verse that Sam shared, it mentioned God got angry. With serious injustice come serious consequences. When we think about evil, we think about evil relative to me. What I think is good and bad. But evil is relative to God. That's what evil is. Now, it's not the full picture. We don't have to choose between a God of justice and a God of love. And if the only thing you know about the Bible is from the movie Pulp Fiction, um, which I'm not recommending watching, by the way, um, it quotes Ezekiel 25:17. The main character quotes this verse over and over again. And sadly, some people think this is the only characteristic of the God that we worship and serve. 
What it says is, I will carry out great vengeance on them and punish them in my wrath. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I take vengeance on them. Now, there's no useful context to that passage. And it's important to realize that that in isolation is not the God that we worship or serve. We need to read scripture about God's punishment in context to better understand his nature, his motive and his heart. Has anyone left food in the fridge too long? Yeah? What happens? It goes off. What did you do with it? Put it, put it in the bin. Because not only does it go off and it's not useful to eat anymore, it actually becomes toxic and has a problem to the rest of the things in the fridge. Yeah? Sort of. Of course it's thrown out because it doesn't belong in the fridge anymore. We find it confronting that God would destroy anything in his creation. But his kingdom, the kingdom that he created, that he is Lord of, has very clear purpose and agenda. Just like the fridge, moldy old food that makes you sick and causes other food to make you sick doesn't belong in the fridge. It's in direct opposition to the purpose of a fridge. The two greatest commandments of God's kingdom, love God, love others. If you're opposed to those things and against those things, then you're against God's kingdom. And guess what? God doesn't like that. Because those things that are opposed to that become toxic. They're opposing love. And it doesn't belong in the kingdom and it will be destroyed. Okay, enough fire and brimstone. Let's continue. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those who I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. And now you can see why we can't take things in isolation. The king wasn't a party pooper. He didn't want to ruin anyone's day. He wanted to fill the hall with guests for the banquet. His agenda was clear. And God's heart over and over again is this. This is his heart. This invitation. He invites the first lot of guests. They say no. So he invites them again. They rebel against his intentions. Not just his invitation. But they kill the messengers. But he still doesn't want people to miss out. So he says, get anyone you can to come and join the banquet. I have abundant space. Invite everybody. Now this too is confronting. Because it clearly says 
the bad as well as the good are invited. If anyone thinks God is not fair, my answer to is yes, God is not fair. But he's not fair because he's more patient, more merciful, more loving, more embracing than I would ever be if I was God. He's not fair because of how generous he is. He invites the bad as well as the good. And again, this theme is repeated in parables over and over again. There is no limit on the invitation to the kingdom of God. No one is excluded from being invited. We call it grace, undeserved mercy. The labourer is in the vineyard, the two sons, the prodigal son. He repeats the same message. Who deserves to be here at church today? Well, I'm the pastor, so you know I deserve to be here. And there's some elders and deacons here. So no, none of us deserve to be here. Not a single one of us deserve to be here worshipping God. I'm no better than anyone else and should never withdraw the invitation to church, to Jesus, to be loved and accepted. I do not have the right to take that invitation off anybody. Especially if I think they're not good enough. Because of what they've done, because they're bad. When you say or think that, you are not representing God's kingdom. In fact, in that moment, you're opposing God's kingdom. When you ever say somebody is not worthy of love or identity, you are in direct opposition to God's intention and heart. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Coming dressed in wedding clothes was the only thing the guests had to prepare. He's already explained the food sorted, the hall sorted, like it's all under control. The king had done everything else. And we've got to be clear that this wasn't how fancy the clothes were. Because remember who got invited. There were poor people, there were rich people, everyone got invited. So the expectation of dressing you know in, in your Armani suit wasn't there that was that was completely unrealistic this was about the man's posture about his attitude you see he was actually a fraud he was an imposter he wanted to eat the banquet but he didn't want to honor the host of the banquet he wanted the fancy food the drink the music without respecting, appreciating, or honouring the wedding that was being held. 
And again, this is actually confronting. And this is for us as believers who are at the banquet to wrestle with. Because again, Jesus is consistent in his teaching. If you're not prepared to forgive, you will not be forgiven. You can't have the kingdom without the king. And I've said this many times and I'll say it again. Jesus is both saviour and Lord. You can't separate Jesus as our saviour from Jesus as our Lord. They go together. He's Lord and saviour. So what can we take away from this parable? For me, there are two confronting but important truths to remember. Both have something to rejoice about and both have a warning for us to remember. The first one is this. The kingdom of God is a priceless treasure which God will passionately defend. This parable does get pretty heavy. There's some pretty confronting things in it. But don't forget it revolves around a wedding feast. For the son of the king. Yes, God will make sure that his wedding banquet goes ahead as planned. But that's because it's good. The wedding banquet is a good thing. It's a precious thing. It's a special thing. It's really significant. And it's a celebration that he won't allow to be undermined. And so we've got to put this in context. And we've got to say, yes, God will passionately defend his kingdom. But because it's a good kingdom, because it's precious, because it's so special, because it's so valuable, he defends it. It's not out of arrogance. It's not out of pride. It's actually out of protecting the gift that is created for his creation. The kingdom of God is a priceless treasure which God will passionately protect and defend. And the second is this. All are invited into the kingdom of God. But you can't have the kingdom without the king. Now, I'm so grateful for this. As a sinner, this is great news. My invitation is not based on my performance. It's not based on my looks. Not even my thoughts or my feelings are the measure of the invitation. And so my response is to gladly come and worship and honour Jesus because I know how much the ticket cost for my invitation. Jesus' life was the price of our invitation. And so I will gladly honour the host of the banquet. It's not something I do out of duress to get in. It's something I do out of delight because 
I appreciate and understand how valuable this invitation is. How undeserved my invitation is. And he deserves honour and respect and submission of my life because he is the king of this kingdom. I just want us to pause for a second. Because the confronting things in this parable were actually designed to be confronting. They're designed to interrupt us. They're designed to interrupt sometimes our laziness, but sometimes the things that we've been taught and we understand. And to challenge those things to say, hey, how do I see God's kingdom? How do I understand the kingdom of God? How do I respond to the kingdom of God? Just pause for a second and just allow God's Spirit to speak to your heart. Again, it's so important to understand that there is no condemnation in here. We've all fallen short and the invitation is to all of us. So if you feel like you're excluded from the kingdom, you feel like you're not welcome and not invited, that is not God's heart. But at the same time, Remember that God created his kingdom, not us. His kingdom is his good intention and plan and design. And we come into his kingdom, not he into our kingdom. And we've got to get that balance right. We're here because he invited us. We respond because he is a good God who has forgiven and accepted us in spite of our failings. So just pause and let him speak to you in that place. Lord God, we acknowledge that your ways are different to our ways. Your thoughts aren't on our thoughts. And you, you've invited us in to participate, to experience, to live the fullness of life. Not because we deserve it or have earned it, but because you have passionately set up and preserve, protect, defend your kingdom. We thank you that you have made a way. Lord, as you speak to us in our personal circumstances, we thank you that you you are so loving and merciful and gracious.
Lord, we come as people who desperately need you in your kingdom, who know that there is no other kingdom or no other way that has any sense of goodness in it. And we acknowledge you as the king on the throne of an eternal kingdom that is not passing, that's not going away. And Lord, we give you the honour and the glory that, that you are worthy of. And we delight, we rejoice, we celebrate your Son who is glorified today. The Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. In Jesus' name, amen. This can take a little bit of time to process. Some of this stuff is, is things that we sort of have a pendulum. You know, prior to, to my era, there was the, you know, fire and brimstone. You go into hell if you, if you don't, you know, do what God says. And we can see here, you know, there is some truth in that. God is a just God. And if you oppose his kingdom, there's consequences to that. And then with sp the pendulum swings the other way. And we're like, but God is a God of love. And you, you can't just tell people that they're going to hell because it's actually a good kingdom of, of good things for, because he loves us. And so we end up in this place that can be confusing. We can feel judged or we can feel, you know, like dope smoking hippies just living blissfully, doing our own thing and not aware that there's actually a king that's ruling a kingdom. And so it, it is confronting, it can be challenging, it can be confusing. But what I would encourage you to do is not just bury it. This is way too important, way too special, way too significant. It was the message of John the Baptist to announce the message of Jesus and it's what Jesus lived and spent his ministry doing, is unpacking the kingdom of God. So in the last two weeks, we've just touched the surface, just been a little provocative in terms of the confusion and the confrontation that the kingdom presents. It's not intended to fully explain the kingdom. I don't know the kingdom fully, but I think... If you're a little bit confused or you're a little bit confronted, that's okay. But don't stay there. The Gospel of Matthew is fantastic. Read it. It particularly focuses on the kingdom of God. 
Um, you'll see a lot of those passages. I'm, I'm more than happy to give you the list of those parables if you want to unpack some of these ideas specifically. Um, but the broad concept is don't sit back and just go, yes, yeah, sure, there's a kingdom of God. This is what the whole of creation and humanity is moving towards. This is the momentum of all creation. And it's way too important just to leave on the sideline. It was too important to Jesus that he was prepared to come to earth to proclaim the message. Like that's how much he humbled himself as a servant, letting go of his position of God to become a human to make sure we weren't confused about the kingdom of God. And so I would really encourage you, if you are a bit confused, if you are a bit confronted by some of this stuff, don't bury it. Talk to someone, pray about it, read the, the Gospel of Matthew, read all four Gospels, they're awesome. But the Gospel of Matthew, if you want to know about the kingdom of God specifically, and keep unpacking it, because at the end of it is not confusion and, and being confronted, but it's actually something to celebrate and worship the king of this kingdom. So I just would encourage you with that.